Good morning, family. Uh, my name is Matthew, and my wife Sarah and I are here with our three children. I, was, uh, I didn't realize this morning that we could have brought them up here, but we had a challenge even name-checking them this morning, so that was never going to happen. Um, but I'm going to name-check them, so if you don't see me next week, this is the reason why. Um, we have Eleanor and Sebastian that are with us in the main hall. And uh, Theodore, or Teddy as we like to call him, is upstairs. Um, we came to Canada in 2019, and we uh, attended TCC on and off uh, through the pandemic, and over the last six months, we've attended uh, more regularly. We'll be reading uh, Sarah and I from Hebrews 4, chapters 1 through 13. Uh, if you can stand, please do while we read the word. <clears throat> A Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you are found to have fallen short of it. For we have also had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share in the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rest from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation, is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, church. It's good to be together this morning. Well, this past week or a couple weeks ago, my wife had the opportunity to uh, get away. And so I had some amazing, my mic just broke, that's wonderful, some great time away with my kids. Oh, sorry, at home with my kids, um, which was a lot of fun. And I had a lot of people checking in on me. Uh, I'm not sure what to take of that uh, kind of perceived incompetence. Um, a little offensive, but that's okay. Uh, but we had a lot of fun, me and my three kids. And there was only one moment where all three of them were screaming and crying at the same time. 
Um, and some of you might be able to remember, uh, some of you might know what time that was, um, because that was uh, bedtime. And there was something about bedtime where kids are just so resistant to going to bed. And I don't quite understand it because, you know, sleep is really good for them. And I try to explain to my five-year-old and my three-year-old that, you know, sleep is really good for you. You should sleep, right? Like, let's go to bed. Um, but they're just so resistant uh, to this part of their day. They're so resistant to the things that I know are good for them. And it seems like in those moments, that's where the tensions rise uh, for us as a family. And we start kind of ramming heads a little bit when I'm like, hey guys, you just you need to go to bed. And like, no, I, we don't want to go to bed. You know, and I, I look at that and I think to myself, man, like, why can't they just understand that I have something, there's something so good for them in rest? Why can't they wrap their heads around that dad just knows best? And that I'm inviting them to experience something that is good for them. And we'd think that maybe we would grow up out of this. But when we look at our own lives, even as adults, I think it's very evident to us that we too oftentimes will struggle to do what is good for us. We too are resistant to the things that are going to lead us uh, into a good place. Lead us into health. Lead us into a sense of abundance. You know, we would probably rather stay up late and watch that extra show than go to bed. So I'm maybe not that different from my own kids. Or we'd prefer a a nice greasy cheeseburger over that leafy green salad, these types of things. We can be very resistant to those things that are good for us. Well, we've been in Hebrews, and in the last chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3 that Norb covered last week, the author of Hebrews invited us to consider a story from the Old Testament Uh, Taken from Numbers chapter 13, where we read about the Israelites being resistant to something that was good for them. And something we've been trying to remind us of as we've journeyed through the book of Hebrews is that every time the author is referencing the Old Testament, he's inviting us into a whole world, not just one section or just one thought, but he's inviting us into the whole of the story. And in the case of Numbers chapter 13, where Israel's standing on the edge of the promised land, it's important for us to consider the whole story. You know, the Israelites were living in Egypt as slaves. God delivered them from that slavery. They crossed the Red Sea uh, through a miracle. They lived in the wilderness. And in this time in the wilderness, there was this continued anticipation that God was going to lead them to the land flowing with milk and honey. God had a promise for them. God was taking them somewhere. God was moving them in a direction and they were following him through the wilderness to that place. In Numbers 13, they arrive at the edge of the promised land. And, they, and God asked them to send in 12 spies. Do you guys remember the song? 12 spies went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. No, I just lost the room. That's great. I went to Sunday school, okay? You know. <laughs> but this story of the, the 12 spies going into the land, they go and they look at the promised land. They see all the good things. They see all that God has for them. And they come back to the people of Israel. And they don't have very good things to say. They acknowledge, yes, that this is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. They acknowledge that this would be a great place to live. But then they go on to highlight that there's some problems. They looked and they saw the people who lived in the land. They said, absolutely no way. And in Exodus, sorry, in Numbers chapter 13, we we read, they say that we could not attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. 
They said that the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of of great size. They say we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. So God's led them to this place. He's saying, okay, it's time to go into the promised land. And the Israelites are saying, absolutely no way. And what happens in this story is they actually rebel against Moses. They say, no, we want a different leader. They rebel against God. They say, no, actually, we want to go back to Egypt. Egypt's a lot better than what God has for us over here. And this rebellion, this resistance to the good things that God had for them um, really comes through. And I believe that the author of Hebrews is retelling this story because he's inviting us to see that their story is, in fact, our story. As we consider the story of the Israelites, we are invited to see that we too are people who oftentimes resist the good things that God has for us. We too stand on the edge of God's blessings, his plan, his desires for us. And we see the obstacles. We we see the giants in the land. We see that, well, to get to where Jesus wants me to go, I have to cross through and there's going to be enemies. There's going to be people who are, are resisting me getting to where Jesus wants me to go. We, we, we see the obstacles and we say, man, I'm just a little grasshopper compared to all this opposition. No way, God. I can't step into that. I can't move into this thing you're calling me into. We're resistant. There's too much risk. There's too much of a cost. There's too much discomfort. And in the context of this this early church receiving this letter, you know, they were facing persecution. They were at a time in, in their season as a church where there was actually a lot of opposition coming at them for following Jesus. Faithfulness to Jesus looked like a very difficult road for them in their workplace. Faithfulness to Jesus looked like a difficult thing for them, maybe in the context of their extended families. Perhaps some of you can relate to that this morning. We understand that at this time, these early church communities were moving from meeting in homes to meeting in the catacombs. They were hiding. And the idea of saying, do you know what, God, we've had a, a little too much here. Not only does it make sense, but it's quite relatable Yet through all the Gospels, when we look at Jesus, we understand that Jesus, he's calling us to walk with him and to follow him with bold faith, even into difficulty, even into seasons where things might not make sense to us, even amongst the giants, even into situations where we just feel like little grasshoppers. And he calls following him, the invitation to that, in in this chapter it's called rest jesus calls us to walk with him in bold faith in these seasons where it doesn't make sense picking up in chapter four we read therefore since the promise of entering his rest still stands okay so the invitation's there this life that jesus has for us is here let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it So he gives us the possibility of rest, but also this warning. Now, it's important for us here to pause and ask the question, well, what is the rest? What are we talking about here in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 as it relates to rest? Now, in the context of the Old Testament, the idea of rest had to do with the land. 
And it was this idea that once we move into the land, once we settle in the land, once our enemies are pushed back, we can kind of live the good life. We'll be peace on the borders, we'll have a king, we'll, we'll be living in a context where, where all is well in the world. We can go about our lives in peace. And so rest in the Old Testament has a strong attachment to this picture of dwelling in the land safely and securely. It's actually interesting in 1 Kings, after Solomon's kingdom is established, there's this reference to there being rest in the land. And the land had rest on all sides. And it's kind of the conclusion of this wandering journey for Israel. But when we get to the passage that's referenced here, Psalm chapter 95 in our text, we see that rest isn't just locked to a location. It's not just about a land. But rest was about more than that. And it seems that for Israel, rest was also about this future anticipation of God doing more, of of God securing something greater for them. And for us today, when we consider this rest, we look at the finished work of Jesus The promise of salvation secured for us through God's provision. This is the reality of rest that comes to us and that we read about here in Hebrews chapter 4. There's this reality as people that when we're living hostile towards God, when we're living against God, when our lives um, are are seeking to be separate from Him, there's not a lot of rest. (laughs) There's a lot of striving But God sends his son in Jesus, who does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He invites us to follow him. He invites us to experience salvation in him, and in that we have rest. And so there's a reality that in Christ, when we think about our lives and eternity, we can rest knowing that our our salvation, our eternity is secured in the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross. That's one element of rest. But I want to go a little bit further and suggest that the rest that's being talked about in Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about a deeper rest. You see, the rest that we have in our eternal salvation is great. But I think at times in our faith, we do a disservice to the concept of salvation when we just leave it in the future. You know, that day when I die and I, I pass away, I have eternity with God in heaven and it's going to be wonderful. That is my salvation. And yes, that is a part of your salvation. But our salvation also has a present reality. In the New Testament, we read about working out our salvation. We read about this idea of the fact that we are being saved, that God is at work in our lives, that the saving work of Jesus is not simply about eternity when we die, but it has a present reality that's being worked out in our day-to-day lives. And so I think that there's something in the rest that we have here in Hebrews chapter 4, which is echoing Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, what's interesting is, uh, I I think this is backed up a bit when we look further in our text where the the author moves to Genesis chapter 2 to talk about the rest of God. Because the rest of God is characterized by God's completed work. When creation was finished, God could rest. Did he rest because he was tired? No. Did he rest because he just needed a break? No. He rested because the work was finished. In the same way, Jesus 
His work on the cross accomplished something for us that we could not accomplish on our own. And so when we think about rest with God, it flows from this idea of completed work. The rest we have in Jesus is one where we are confident in Jesus' completed work. And that frees us from striving. Yes, we can rest from earning salvation. But we can also rest from all these other areas in our lives where we find ourselves striving. You know, it's interesting when we think about um, our lives as people. Because all of us, we're often chasing different things. Maybe we're chasing the sense of belonging, where I just want to feel like I'm a part of something, and we want to be that popular person who fits into a crowd. And it's only through feeling popular and loved and accepted that we'll feel okay within ourselves. And so we strive and chase after popularity. But Jesus is saying, come to me and hear my love for you. Get your acceptance from me and rest. You don't have to strive to fit in in that crowd over there. Or maybe we're chasing security and this idea that if I just have enough stuff, if I just own the right things, drive the right car, have the big enough number in my bank account, then I will feel okay. But Jesus is saying, I want to provide for you. I want to care for you. Your sense of okayness won't, shouldn't come from your stuff because you'll never have enough. But come to me, trust me, rest in my provision and love and care. Or maybe we're seeking to feel okay within ourselves by chasing purpose and achievement. And we're thinking, man, if I could just get the right grades in school. Or if I can just make this accomplishment on my sports team. Or if maybe I can just advance in my career. Or be the type of parent that other parents look at and envy. Then I will feel okay within myself. But Jesus is saying, no, I've called you to a different way of life. You're not going to find fulfillment and happiness in gaining other people's approval and and climbing some sort of ladder. But come and walk with me. Engage in life with me. Friends, we don't have to labor to belong, to have security, to have a purpose. Jesus invites him to come to us and experience rest in him. So it's a rest that flows from life with God. And the invitation we have here in Hebrews chapter 4 is, are you willing to follow Jesus into these places of rest? And right away in verse 1, we see that there's a possibility for us to ignore that rest. There's a possibility for us to reject that rest. Now, there's two sides to this. The first is from that eternal salvation perspective that I was talking about. There's some of you maybe here this morning who you don't actually believe in God. Uh, You don't believe in Jesus, and and we welcome you here. It's a great place to explore uh, the faith in Jesus. Um, And there's this, this reality that's being spoken of. If we reject the finished work of Jesus, if we choose not to believe in him, then we're going to experience the results of that, where we won't enter into the rest that God has for us. But I think the other level of this uh, flows from the reality that there's this invitation of Jesus to experience rest with him in our present, that yes, we have eternal security with God, but Jesus is inviting us to a way of life where we are at peace with God, and we're experiencing peace with ourselves, we're growing in a love for God and a love for others, we're engaging in life with God and mission in the world around us, and there's just a sense of rest. He's inviting us into that, but we can resist it. How do we resist it? Well, the author is so clear. In verse, uh, just in one, a couple of verses before, in Hebrews chapter 3, 
He's talking about the, the Israelites and he's saying that so we see that they were not able to enter the rest. Why? Because of their unbelief. They could not enter the rest because of their unbelief. And this is echoed for us at the beginning of chapter 4 as well. Now, belief is an interesting word. I hope you're tracking with me here this morning. I feel like I'm moving rather quickly. But um, when we use the word belief or the word faith, I think we often think of those words as, it's, it's like I'm saying I'm a person of faith. It's a way of saying I'm a Christian. Or um, it's a way of saying that I adhere to a certain set of beliefs, these types of things. Uh, this idea, uh, we use this word in, in these types of ways in our, in our culture and in our context. But when Scripture uses the words belief or faith, it's meaning a whole lot more. Uh, I was listening to a sermon on Hebrews 4 um, by the, the guy who runs the Bible Project, Tim Mackey. Um, and he used uh, a kind of a, a framework to help explain belief and this idea of belief and how Scripture speaks to it. And he talks about how there's different levels of belief. Uh, and the first level of belief is the idea of public beliefs. So it's the things that we say we believe. And so if you're talking with someone about finances, you might say, yes, I believe that I need to be generous with my finances. Being generous is really good. We should take the excess of our wealth and give it to other people who are less fortunate. So we might express our public belief in that way. And we have lots of public beliefs, don't we? Because we're our own PR agents and we care about what others perceive of us. So we like to tell people the things that we believe. But this is only one layer. The next layer is this idea of the private beliefs. What we think we believe. So while in public we might talk about giving away our excess wealth, in private that might be a lot more nuanced, right? You know, at what point does excess start? And how much am I allowed to enjoy before I start giving uh, things away uh, to other people? Now the third level of belief is the idea of core beliefs. And he talks about how we never deviate from our core beliefs. And this is how we live. It's our belief in action. These are the things that just flow out of us. Now, here's the thing. If I want to know what you believe about finances and generosity, I shouldn't listen to what you say. I shouldn't even maybe eavesdrop on what you think, if that were possible. But I need to watch how you live. And if I were to look at your bank account, it would reveal to me what you think about generosity, what you believe about generosity. Now, this whole reality plays out on so many different levels. Um, Tim Mackey told a great story about himself. He threw himself under the bus in this personal illustration. I couldn't think of an illustration um, quite as good that would throw myself under the bus, so I'm just going to use his this morning. Um, but he talked about moving from California to Portland. And living in Portland, he just was like, man, Portland is such a pedestrian-friendly city. It's amazing. He's like, pedestrians just walk out into the street and the cars stop for you. It's not like this in California. And so he kind of gained this belief that he values a pedestrian-friendly city. And he had a friend come visit him from California, and he's like, yeah, it's this amazing thing. You can just step out into traffic, and the cars stop for you. It's so great. And him and his friend, they try it out. They step out into traffic, and all the cars stop. And this is amazing. Well, two weeks later or so, Tim Mackey's driving with his wife, and they're going down a road. There's no other cars, and there's a pedestrian crossing this, the road in the distance. And Tim says, well, you know, based on where I was and where he was, he had plenty of time to cross the street. So he's driving along. He said, but this person had a swagger. And he's not quite walking as fast as he should. And, and this tension started to build. Is there going to be enough time? Is there not? And he got to the point where he had to slam on his brakes. 
And this pedestrian starts yelling at Tim, and Tim's yelling at the pedestrian, and there's this whole moment. And then his wife turns to him and says, weren't you just saying how pedestrian-friendly Portland is? Weren't you just telling your friend how awesome it is to live in a pedestrian-friendly city? So this illustration is great for this idea of, of our private public beliefs versus our core beliefs. So he would say that he values and loves a pedestrian-friendly city. But when the actual action came to him participating in a pedestrian-friendly city, he didn't do it. His core beliefs were not aligned with his public or private beliefs. Now, friends, our lives reveal what we trust. And when the Bible talks about trust, faith, belief, these words, they're used interchangeably. This is what it's getting at. It's not talking simply about your, your verbal, I believe in Jesus. It's talking about the core belief. Do you trust Jesus to follow him into the promised land? It's not about what we say we believe as Christians. It's not that we put up our hand and say, yes, I, I'm a believer. I follow Jesus. I, I love the Bible. I love what it teaches. That's not the belief that Scripture's talking about. The belief that Scripture's talking about is how is it that you live this out in your day-to-day life? At TCC, our mission statement is to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, share Jesus. It's the, this is the walking with Jesus. Our trust in action. Our day-to-day lives, how we apply scripture and let it inform our decisions and our choices. Our lives reveal what we trust. The problem is we are a very comfortable people. And we're quick to say to Jesus, Jesus, I trust you with my eternal salvation. But, you know, when it comes to me, you know, feeling okay and, and feeling a sense of belonging, I... I actually, I like getting that from all these people over here. So, so thanks for eternal salvation, but in sense of belonging, I'm going to get that from over here. Or we turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I love the peace and the joy that you, you bring me by your Holy Spirit. But, you know, the security that I feel from my finances and my possessions, I'm not ready to quite give that up yet. So I'll take the joy and the peace from you, but I'm still going to strive over here to keep my security with all these other things. We're quick to say to Jesus, Jesus, we love participating in the church community. I I love all these things. But when it comes to my day-to-day life, that Monday to Saturday, you know, if you could just stay over in Sunday and let me keep the rest of the week, that'd be great. And there's a breakdown between our public or private beliefs and our core beliefs. But friends, Jesus calls us to follow him with the whole of our lives. In Mark chapter 8, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, you could say whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to give their life to me, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Now what's interesting about the last section of that verse is Jesus is just making a statement of reality. You were made for God. The fullness of life that he's created you for, it's only going to be found in following Jesus. And if we don't pursue him and leave this other stuff behind, it's going to cost us in ways we don't want it to. And so all this idea of building up with, this, with trust and the importance of our core beliefs, the author is making this point that without trust, without believing we miss out 
on the rest. We miss out on the rest. But there's also hope. In verse 3, he says, Now we who have believed enter that rest. We who have given our faith to Jesus, we who have invested in trusting more and more in Jesus, we who have seen the giants and felt like grasshoppers in the midst of following Jesus, we who have experienced that yet said, no, Jesus, I'm still going to follow you even though it's hard, even though it's difficult. We enter into that rest. And he uses Psalm 95 to remind us of the ongoing consequence of unbelief. Reminding us that that God has made a declaration that you will not enter my rest in a place of unbelief. The the rest is then further described for us using Genesis chapter 2. And again, it's building on this picture and idea of God's completed work. But then the author shifts into this plea that he's made for everyone where he says guys we've been invited into God's rest today you've been invited into that rest today in verse 6 therefore since it still remains for some to enter that rest and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience God again set a certain day calling it today so what's the day what, what when is the rest available to you When's the rest available to you? Today. The invitation to follow Jesus into a place of rest, into a place of abundance, into a place of life is today. It's right now. Jesus has that for you. And in the way that the Israelites had this invitation from God to enter into the promised land, yes, it was going to be difficult. Yes, it was going to require sacrifice. Yes, it was going to challenge them. So too, Jesus is inviting us to follow him. To receive from him the goodness and the life that he has for us. It's an invitation from a loving father. You know, in the way that I'm pleading with my kids, please go to bed. (laughs) You know, rest is good for you. You will be happier. I will be happier if we all just sleep, right? I just picture our heavenly father inviting us into this life, saying, just, will you follow me? Will you trust me even when it's difficult? I know that you think that this life over here is better. I know that you think that popularity and possessions and entertainment, all these things is better, but it's not. What I have for you is better. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Well, the passage gives us some tips on how to enter into this rest. The first So we enter into God's rest by having soft hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Commentator William Lane, he writes that hardness of heart is intelligent, planned unbelief. It is possible to determine not to believe in God. We harden our hearts when we're confronted with something from the Lord and we just say, no, I don't want that. I don't agree with that. No, thank you, God. It's this decision to say, I know better. I'm going to do it my way. 
the author is bringing us back to Psalm 95, taking us back to the edge of the promised land. He's saying, do not harden your hearts. Friends, it is so tempting to harden our hearts. In this age of Google and mass information, we can go and find any one thing to justify what we want to do over and above God's way. We can go find the right article. We can go find the right expert who's going to say that what I want is what's best. What I want to think of the world is what's best. But we have to be careful that in doing so, we're not hardening our hearts against something God has invited us into. This takes humility. It takes us paying attention and choosing to believe and trust that God's way is better. The second way that the text invites us into rest is that we enter God's rest by making every, enter, every effort to enter that rest. This is a very ironic verse. I absolutely love it. Make every effort to enter the rest. Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This text is calling us, I believe, to intentional engagement with Jesus. It's not letting ideas like this remain in Scripture or in a sermon. It's not leaving today and going, oh, what a great message, but, you know, I think I'm pretty good in the whole faith and trust department. Thank you very much. Rather, it's, it's recognizing that salvation is a process. It's recognizing that we haven't arrived yet. It's recognizing that I still have a long way to go in looking more and more like Jesus and being a person of love. And it's me saying, I'm going to work on that. I want to move more into being like Jesus. And what comes with that is this connection to the idea of obedience, that when we feel like the Lord is calling us or leading us in a direction, we actually follow him in that. We're left with the question, are there areas in your life where you're not being obedient to God? But friends, we need to make every effort to pay attention to the things that we trust in. The final section of this chapter, uh, not this chapter, but of the of the, what we're looking at this morning, um, has this, this is probably the most familiar part of the passage, which gives us our last invitation to rest. We enter into rest by listening for Jesus' leading. And in verses 12 to 13, we read, For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Wow. Now, I've only ever heard this passage used and taught on completely out of context. So this is really cool to study it. And to see how this idea that the word of God, what is he even talking about? When you hear God's what? His voice. Do not harden your hearts. Here the author is making a direct connection between God's word and God's spoken word, inviting us to consider how God is speaking. Remember Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Long ago God spoke to our ancestors to the prophets by many times in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. We have a speaking God. God is speaking to us. And the author of Hebrews is here is, is saying, do not reject that voice. He's saying the word of God, it is alive, it is active. He is speaking, he is leading. The reference to the sword is so cool. Uh, this is a bit of a Bible nerd thing. But why didn't the Israelites enter Canaan? 
They didn't want to go into Canaan because of the enemy that was waiting for them. They were scared of the swords of the enemy. And it's almost like the author of Hebrews is saying, you're scared of those swords? Man, you should be scared of God's sword. (laughs) And he goes on to speak of the, the, the nature of God's voice and the nature of what God sees. And this reality that there's nothing in us that is hidden from him. He sees our core beliefs exactly for what they are. He knows our core beliefs better than we know them himself, than we know them ourselves. He sees our core beliefs and he sees the areas of distrust that we struggle with. And he wants to do a work in our lives that only he can do. This invitation, this reminder of God's word and the power of it is a call for honest prayer in areas of distrust. The author is saying that there is no point in even trying to hide from God. It begs us to come and read God's word, to listen to how God is speaking and to allow his word to expose areas of distrust in our own hearts and allow his word to lead us into places of rest. And so when we consider entering God's rest, let us have humble hearts Let us make every effort and let us have ears that are attuned to hearing Jesus' leading and may we follow him in the places of rest. Because friends, God's voice is speaking. He's inviting you into rest. Are you tired? Do you experience in your own lives this striving and chasing after things that Jesus has already completed and accomplished for you. Do not refuse his voice. Let us trust him, believe him, and follow him into abundance. Let's pray and invite the worship team to join me on the platform. Father God, we just thank you that you are a good father who wants to lead us in the places of rest. And Lord, even now, I'm sure each one of us can think of areas in our own lives where we are striving, areas where we're tired, areas in our lives where things just don't feel okay, and we're just, we are running hard to try to make ourselves feel okay, and we're tired. So we just invite your Holy Spirit to just speak to us this morning. Lord, help us to hear your invitation to rest. Help us to see areas where we're not trusting you as we should. Help us to see our own resistance in following you into the places that you have for us. Jesus, may we trust you. May we experience your rest, we pray. Amen.